Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part two of America's secret history, examining attempted and successful coup d'etats. What happened was Lincoln did something that had never been done before. He created greenbacks. And those greenbacks were the exact opposite of the central bank. Those greenbacks funded the United States government during the first few years of the Civil War, and they were backed by gold. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Author Stephen Harris is here for our ongoing series on America's secret history. We'll delve into the role of international banking interests in the assassinations of both President Lincoln and Garfield. Stephen Harris became fascinated with the JFK, RFK, and MLK assassinations beginning in his teenage years. Then came Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon Papers, released in the New York Times in 1971, clearly showing that the entire Lyndon Johnson administration lied to the American public and Congress, causing the physical and moral devastation in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. That was all bad enough, but when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney overthrew a sovereign government with no weapons of mass destruction or proof of any terrorist activities by the Iraqi government, Stephen Harris began his 17-year investigative reporting of the U.S. government. He's now so proud to be able to present history buffs and the average book reader who's searching for answers, the truths behind the stories they don't want you to know. 
He's the author of America's Secret History, How the Deep State, the Fed, the JFK, MLK, and RFK assassinations, and much more, led to Donald Trump's presidency. Stephen, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. Here we go with part two. How are you? Great to be back, Richard. So we're working our way through your new book, America's Secret History, and today we land on Manifest Destiny, uh, what you call domestic imperialism. First of all, uh, we're up here in Canada. I remember studying a little bit about Manifest Destiny, but for those not familiar with the term, what does it mean? Where did it come from, that term? Manifest Destiny uh, was first uh, called that by a newspaper journalist, John L. Uh, John O'Sullivan. And um, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, uh, he was the uh, part of the, or the, um, the spokesperson for the deep state, because the deep state had to get into the uh, continental United States. We, at the time, were basically in the 13 colonies. There may have been a state or two added, I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, Lewis and Clark in 1803 had uh, gone, as most people know, from their kindergarten and <laughs> public school days. Lewis and Clark in 1803 set off across the country to map it and explore it. And when, when they came back with their results, uh, the deep state must have uh, been salivating because uh, there were markets um, uh, that Lewis and Clark reported on that uh, would make them, at the time, millionaires. Uh, in today's money, billionaires. And um, uh, manifest destiny was the term meaning the God-given right to uh, expand America's boundaries into all the way to California. Um, and um, what everyone has to understand is the deep state, their uh, philosophy has what I call the PNW, power and wealth. And to get power and wealth, you need new markets. And Lewis and Clark showed that uh, there, there was a, uh, an affluent market out there from Pennsylvania and Ohio, all the way out to California. Sure. If I could just interject for a second, though, when you say the deep, the deep state requires that, power and wealth des des desires that, but just the capitalist system, free enterprise, free markets uh, requires that. And I mean, how do you differentiate? Why would it necessarily be the deep state that was driving manifest destiny and not just American, uh, the emergence of American ingenuity and, and free enterprise. Because capitalism is free enterprise. Capitalism is citizens being able to establish their own businesses as, as a free enterprise system. But the deep state is an attempt by the industrialists and the money powers, the bankers, to control the world's wealth. That is not socialism, communism, or capitalism. That is an entirely different economic system, which I've termed, termed the PNW, power and wealth. Right, it's almost akin to feudalism, I would say. Well, it, it, certainly it has, um, uh, it has to do with that, yes, because that is the end result 
um, what I see as the end result of the deep state is for the few to control the entire power and wealth of the earth, uh, of the world, and uh, for the remaining citizens to be the feudal uh, citizens. That's uh, So in that respect, I totally agree with you. You're saying the deep state were were behind this drive to expand America's borders on the continent, or were they simply along for the ride? The deep state to me, and what I consider America's secret history, to prove as a timeline from the early 1800s all the way up to the present time, the deep state is to control the world's wealth. Uh, for instance, as I pointed out to you in a previous uh, uh, interview, as of February, 2,200 people controlled more wealth than 5 billion people in the world. And with the pandemic, the lockdown, it has to have increased even more because uh, the top 14 richest people in the world made in profit uh, a half a trillion dollars, not a half a million, not a half a billion, a half a trillion dollars since the lockdown began. Um, and yet the poor and the middle class and even the lower upper class uh, have suffered dearly. Uh, and so that is the, is the key to the deep state, the power and wealth, controlling, getting control of 100% of the world's wealth and in return having the power to control it. That's right. what I call, right. that's what I term the P and W. And I believe and I think my my book shows that in the early 1800s it started. The P and W started with with manifest destiny. Would you not agree though in the at least in the, the early 19th century the free enterprise engine and yes part of that was expanding a, you know go west young man that whole idea generated an incredible amount of wealth not only for the upper class but also for the middle class the the, the beginning we see the beginning of a burgeoning middle class which is somewhat attributed to manifest destiny and the and the expansion of the the United States economy from this little backwater, you know, 13 colonies to very quickly one of the industrial powers of the of the world. The the poor and the middle class during the 1800s in the uh, expansion to the West certainly benefited. There's no doubt about it. They uh, were able to settle. They were able to build farms. They were able to sell their crops. And they certainly benefited along with the immigrants that came over. But the, the crowd that really existed in the fulfillment of what it needed was the Carnegies and the Rockefellers and the Astors, all the, the railroad magnates, the bankers, J.P. Morgans, the Kuhn Loeb's. They amassed millions the railroads were given by Congress free land from New York to California to build their railroads. And those railroads made them millions and they paid no taxes on that land and they didn't even pay for the land. The goods and the services that they, that they benefited from monetarily was again in the millions and this is in the 1800s. <clears throat> the Astors and the Carnegies were 
were millionaires. The power that they that they had was monumental. So yes, you're 100 percent correct. The 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 many of the settlers going west in Kansas and Iowa and Nebraska and 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 New Mexico to California, especially with the gold rush. Yes, many of them benefited, no doubt about it. But the power was in the industrialists and the bankers. And that's the key. I'm not sure if we had discussed talking about this particular chapter, but I think it's important because it kind of sets the table for what happens thereafter in terms of, well, the assassination attempt against Andrew Jackson and then later the successful assassinations of both Lincoln and Garfield and even McKinley. But that's the second bank of the United States. The first charter for a a foreign-owned central bank was in 1791, which lasted 20 years, and that was primarily controlled, I'm assuming, by the Rothschilds and and British interests. So that expired, and in the 1830s, there was the second bank of the United States. So there was an attempt at a second sort of Federal Reserve, if you will. Can we talk a little bit about that? Very good, Richard. You, as I told you uh, 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 last time we talked, you, you do your research. Yes, the second uh, uh, central bank uh, was fought vehemently, and that's that word vehemently is not used lightly, uh, by Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States. And he was totally against it. He believed that, that, that private bankers, which controlled the, the central bank in the first uh, 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 bank of the United States, and would continue to do so in, in the second, were totally anti-American. And and would uh, only were only in existence would only be in existence for their own financial gain, and he fought it bitterly. And I think it was 1834 when uh, there was an assassination attempt by the bank by the painter of the senator who was the biggest foe to Andrew Jackson, and uh, he tried to kill. Andrew Jackson failed because both shots that he fired misfired. But there's almost no doubt in the world that that this senator was behind the uh, the attempted assassination. But Andrew Jackson prevailed, and he stopped the Second Bank of the United States from being approved. And uh, that continued all the way, although the central bankers still controlled a good part of the finances of the United States. That prevailed until 1913, uh, as you said, when the Federal Reserve was uh, uh, instituted. Right. Right. So the first charter expired for the first central bank, I guess, around uh, 1810 or something. Then along comes the War of 1812 with the British when the United States and what is now Canada went to war. And that, I guess, really put the United States behind the eight ball. You know, they, uh, as wars often do, they amassed huge debt. And so that kind of paved the way because they were in such debt. Now they're beholden to the, the, the bankers that sort of paved the way for the second bank, which again, then had a 20 year charter or a 20 year term, if you will. And that expired on Andrew Jackson's watch. And so he was bound to deter and determined not to grant them another 20 year term in other words so that's exactly. when right so that's when the proponents of the the british money interest decided to try and take andrew jackson out were we able to tie with 100% certainty the his assassin 
to this senator. You mentioned that he, coincidentally, he turned out to be the same man who painted the senator's <laughs> house. Yes. But was it ever proven in, in court? What happened? No, it was not, Richard. Uh, as a matter of fact, as I told you the last time, America's secret history only contains facts that were able to be verified. And so, and I could not verify that. And so in the book, it is clearly stated, most likely, since coincidences, generally speaking, don't happen, most likely it was certainly a, um, a deep state act to, to, to attempt to assassinate Andrew Jackson, but it, it was never proven. Let me state that, that America's Secret History is the first book that I know of to even have in it that the, that the painter, the house painter, of this Senate foe of Andrew Jackson was the culprit who, who attempted the assassination. Fascinating. Something else that I learned from your book, America's Secret History, was, again, going back to Andrew Jackson. And uh, so, again, the, the charter for the second bank is expiring. Johnson decides, or Andrew Jackson, rather, says, I'm not going to renew it. So what does he do? He takes all of the federal funds, the revenue from the federal government, he withdraws it, from this private bank. So the bank, I guess, kind of collapses. And then he completely pays off the U.S. national debt. And as you point out, this is the first and only time in its history the country does not owe a single penny to the private bankers. Good for you. Yes, absolutely. That's what he did. All right. So Jackson, as you point out, becomes the first president prior to Lincoln and Garfield to exert his total independence from the money powers. And this is key, I guess, in trying to understand why Lincoln and later Garfield key. were assassinated. Yes, key. Well, during the Civil War, again, you had a, a huge amount of debt being accrued by uh, both the North and South. Was there a third central bank instituted at this point? No. What happened was Lincoln did something that had never been done before. He created greenbacks. And those greenbacks were the exact opposite of the central bank. Those greenbacks funded the United States government during the first few years of the Civil War, from roughly 1861 to 1863, roughly. And the money powers, and, and they were backed by gold, those greenbacks. See, this is the whole thing. What is at odds with the deep state is that the deep state needs soft money. They need, which is what the Federal Reserve is right now, they need money that they can create that is not backed by anything. Because if it's not backed by anything, then that money, the old adage, money makes money. Well, the wealthy can take that money that is not backed by anything that just keeps increasing and increasing and increasing and turn it into monstrous amounts of money. And so Lincoln's greenbacks were, ba were backed by gold. And that is the antithesis of the industrialists and the bankers who are basically the deep state. And so they that put the fear of God into them, into the deep state, because if Lincoln continued this after the Civil War was over, then other countries would follow suit. And if other countries followed suit, then they would be doomed because they would not have control of the money. As the first Rothschild said, I think his first name was Anschwab, he said, if I don't care who runs a government as long as I control the money. Well, when money is backed by gold, 
the government controls the money. And that's what Lincoln was doing. And that was one of the fears that caused his assassination. There were others, but that was one of the fears that after the Civil War, those greenbacks would continue and other countries would follow suit. Right. And as you say, if, if it's backed by gold, the government can control it. But if it's, if it's simply fiat money, they can print it literally out of thin air, which is what they do. They create money out of thin air and then charge interest for it. So they make money for nothing. Absolutely, Richard. More of my conversation with Stephen Harris when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time to try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I can't get enough of my pomegranate super tea. I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight, enough to last me the entire week. And every morning I have a 16 ounce glass of this amazing GMO non-caffeinated herbal tea. It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse every day. It gets the guck out as Get The Tea co-founder Ronnie McMullen likes to say. I have tremendous energy and a clear and focused mind. I'm never gassy or bloated, and good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com. Do yourself a huge favor and give it a try. Go to getthetea.com and have a look around. I love the teas, but there's so much more at Get The Tea. There are products for glucose maintenance, your hair, skin, eyes, cardiovascular health, and immune support. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. All of them. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, good, good, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Author Stephen Harris is here, and we're discussing the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So the official story of Lincoln's assassination, of course, is that John Wilkes Booth, this famous actor, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, uh, John Wilkes Booth was would have been like today's, I don't know, George Clooney. He was that famous. He was that well-known. So imagine someone like a George Clooney assassinating a president, but that's, you know, what, what, what happened, but... The I guess the official version is that 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 Lincoln uh, or or Booth hated Lincoln because Booth was an avowed uh, well he was pro slavery Lincoln was uh, anti slavery uh, and it was sort of that cut and dried but so so let's tie it back then to the creation of those green dollars versus the the central bank how does Wilkes tie into the money interests I believe. And I believe that America's Secret History proves it, that 
the way it, it ties in is that the money powers, including the radical Republicans, which was the group of politicians in the House of Representatives and the Senate that opposed Lincoln, that the both of them hired John Wilkes Booth to kill Lincoln, his vice president, Andrew Johnson, and his secretary of state, William Seward. And if that had happened, it would have been a complete coup d'etat because the entire government, United States government, would have changed from Republican to radical Republican. And all historians know that, that the conspirators, John Wilkes Booth and the six or seven con, uh, uh, conspirators, were out to kill those, those three people. But no one except one magazine, not one historian in any of their books that I found ever said or ever claimed that the attempted assassination of Lincoln, Johnson, and Seward would have constituted a coup d'etat. And that is astounding to me. Um, and I offer proof in the Lincoln chapter in America's Secret History that it was the bankers, the industrialists, and the radical Republicans rather than the Confederacy, which is what many, most historians claim, uh, hired John Wilkes Booth to kill not only Abraham Lincoln, but his vice president and his secretary of state. And that is because of Lincoln and his administration's commitment to continue printing greenbacks. And the reconstruction. Remember, the war was over. The war was basically over. Uh, when when Booth went up to Massachusetts, as detailed in the book, and uh, presumably, and I offer proof that that uh, John Wilkes Booth met with Senator Sumner, and not the Confederacy, as virtually most other historians claim, that it was for the extre- um, explicit reason, to the implicit reason, to commit a coup d'état get rid of the United States government so that greenbacks would disappear and the reconstruction period from 1865 onward would redefine the South as duplicating the North because that's what they wanted. They wanted the South to be completely responsible to the North and Abraham Lincoln did not. Abraham Lincoln wanted the South to resume outside of slavery. Abraham Lincoln wanted the South to resume it's its way of life, not the Reconstructionists. And those two reasons, I believe, was was the reason for the coup d'etat, for the attempted coup d'etat. So so how for how long did those greenbacks serve as legal tender? For most of the Civil War, although in, in 1863, the Senate passed a law and I and I temporarily forget the name of the law that limited the greenbacks and brought in a certain amount of central banking to the United States monetary uh, system. That was the National Bank Act. To be perfectly honest, I forget, but you're probably right. So after Lincoln's assassination, he's succeeded by his vice president, Andrew Johnson, and uh, the first president to, uh, to be impeached. 
I'm not sure if you cover this in the book, but was that impeachment also an attempt because the coup d'etat was, I guess, sort of stalled because Andrew Johnson survived the assassination? Exactly. Uh, so is that how they tried to, to continue on with the coup d'etat through impeachment? Well, there's no proof, but of course, absolutely. I mean, they failed. Uh, Wilkes Booth's con- uh, uh, conspirators did not even go near Andrew jo- uh, Johnson. William Seward's attempted assassin did severely injure him, uh, but did not kill him. And so both Johnson and Seward were left. And so the coup d'etat was, was a failure. So the, the obvious conclusion without proof is that yes, the powers that be, the radical Republicans definitely had to get rid of, wanted to get rid of Andrew Johnson before 1868, which was, which was the ne- uh, uh, next election. And uh, so they impeached him, uh, but they failed. So he was impeached in the House, but exonerated in the Senate. Exactly. Right. This brings us up to uh, President Garfield, who was the second president to, to be assassinated. What was happening vis-a-vis the, the central bank at that point? Was there one during Garfield's administration? Well, there was never a central bank after the second bank of the United States. But the, the central bankers certainly control a good part of America's finances, of, uh, of America's economy. But when they didn't control America's economy until, again, the 1913 Federal Reserve Act. But in 1880, when, when, Garf- when, when Garfield was nominated for the presidency, they, they still held a, uh, um, a good, good amount of control over America's finances, just not officially. What happened with Garfield was that Ulysses S. Grant was supposed to uh, get the nomination for his second term. He had been president from 1868 to 1872. But in 1880, uh, he was running again. But for whatever the reason, and nobody really to this day understands it, um, he did not get the nomination. And the nomination went through something like 35 votes. I mean, it was an enormous number of votes. And in the something like the 35th or 36th vote, in desperation, actually, James Garfield won the Republican Party nomination. And... What happened was, and unfortunately, he won the election. And so the deep state, the industrialists and the bankers were faced with a president who believed in hard money. Now, remember now, soft money is the central banker's dream. Right. And was Grant, was Ulysses S. Grant an advocate of soft money, as you say? He was a puppet. Absolutely. Ah. He would go along with anything. A great general, not such a great president. He was the great, one of the greatest generals in the history of the country, uh, but uh, he was uh, he allowed himself to be used, and um, he he was he would certainly have been used for soft money. Hey, look, Barack Obama, who came into office in two thousand eight with pro- possibly, arguably, the highest expectations of any president in the history of the country, within the first month or so, hired five uh, Wall Street bankers as his top financial uh, people, Larry Sumner, uh, uh, Treasury Secretary uh, uh, Timothy Geithner. So yeah, it happens. There's there's no doubt about it. But Garfield, so Grant would have been exactly the same, same as uh, Obama and, and the deep state knew it. 
but they didn't expect Grant to lose the nomination and they didn't expect Garfield to win the presidency. And so they were faced with a president who believed in hard money and believed to a, to a huge degree. I mean, it wasn't just something that he, that he believed in. It was something that, that was his being. That was going to be his presidency. Hard money. Money, currency backed in with gold so that it was worth something. He strikes me as being, although he was a Republican and Andrew Jackson was a Democrat, and obviously, you know, there were different times, nearly three quarters of a century apart, but Garfield strikes me as being a little bit Jacksonian or even maybe a little bit like Donald Trump in that he was a little bit reckless in that he in a good way, in that he didn't follow certain protocols. So, for example, he totally ignored seniority in terms of appointing the people that he wanted to keep positions. You're right on. Uh, I, I equate James Garfield to Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump came, came into office, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I forget the exact phrase that he used, but he was going to, I believe he was going to drain the swamp. And James Garfield, although he didn't use that expression, James Garfield was basically the same. Uh, he was going to be his own president. He was going to, to make Washington clean. And um, he believed, as we've already said, in hard money backed by gold. Uh, he, ha- he hired as a Donald Trump would have done in 1880. He hired as his secretary of treasury, uh, Minnesota's William Wyndham. And William Wyndham was the furthest thing from an Eastern banker. Going back to what I just said before, Barack Obama comes into the presidency in 2008 and hires Timothy Geithner, a Wall Street guy who had a part in the 2008 financial crisis. Well, James Garfield comes into office and nominates William Wyndham as his treasury secretary, which was the furthest thing from the influence of the bankers. I mean, Wyndham didn't give a damn about the, the bankers or Wall Street or anything. He was for fiscal integrity. And that was the first thing that, that, that Garfield did that told the deep state that, hey, we're in trouble here. And then what Garfield did was he made himself the undisputed party leader, again, similar to Donald Trump. And he ignored this was probably his undoing, not even maybe the hard currency, but he ignored senatorial courtesy, which which is what you uh, said, Richard. Um, He appointed individuals to key positions irregardless of the Senate or the House of Representatives and what they wanted. And that would have put James Garfield completely against the deep state from 1880 to at least 1884 and probably and possibly to 1888 for eight years. And could could they go for that? Well, apparently not uh, because although we can't prove it, um, in the book or, or anywhere else that I could find. Apparently, they couldn't put up with it because a hundred days after taking office, a hundred days, three months, three plus months, President Garfield was shot in the back at a train station. And although he 
lingered for a month or two, I forget. Uh, he was one more independent president. Right. He died, in, he died in your home state of New Jersey um, ser- uh, several yes. months, I think, after he was, he was shot. And, of course, every assassination needs a patsy. And in this case, it was Charles Guiteau, I think the, yes. he's pronounced. Uh, yes. And this is – tell me about this character and, and what was his supposed motive for killing James Garfield? I have to be honest with you, Richard. I don't remember. I know it's in the book, but I would have to get the copy of the book off my shelf and start going through again – I have to plead that I can't possibly remember every fact in the book. But would you please tell it? I believe it was over a supposed, an imagined debt, a political debt or something. I don't know whether he felt he was owed something by Garfield. I don't know. I don't know the details, but it was supposedly over an imagined debt. What do you think America would have been like had Garfield survived for two terms? Well, that's a that's a good question. I mean, America at the time was going after Cuba. Cuba was um, a Spanish uh, colony. Um, And um, America had many, at the time, billions of dollars, and that's a huge amount of money for the 1890s, invested in Cuba. And um, they could have made a lot more. And so they they offered Spain a lot of money, I forget how much, a lot of money to buy it. Um, uh, and that is, is ultimately what caused the Spanish-American War um, that we detail in America's Secret History. Right. We're going to pick up uh, in, in the next uh, episode. We'll pick up with the, the Spanish-American War. But, yeah, it, it's an interesting contrast. It's like, no, if Garfield had lived, there may not have been, likely would not have been, the Spanish-American War. Uh, similar to had Kennedy survived, there probably would have been no Vietnam War. That's exactly right. That's that's the point. That's the point I was uh, probably going to get to. I don't know. You know, Garfield would have ended if he had served two terms. Garfield would have ended in in in, in 1888. The Spanish American War was 1898, a decade later. Um, so it's almost impossible to know what what would have happened. But. In, in my opinion, after researching Mr. Garfield, um, if he had served two terms, I think the government would have been a totally different government than it, than it would have been, than it was in 1898, in, in 1888, excuse me. Um, and, uh, but I can't guess what, what would have happened. All right, uh, Stephen, we're gonna uh, pick this up in a, in a couple of weeks, perhaps, and we'll uh, we'll begin with the Spanish-American War. Remember the Maine. I'm game. I'm there. <laughs> okay, Stephen. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Thank you, Richard. Bye bye. Okay. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to provide a few details on an upcoming episode. One tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS-60 back in November. ESS-60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS-60 is a mega antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. 
Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS-60 suspended in olive oil was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS-60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm going to live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for c60evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when order it and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life. Discover what it can do for you. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, Encounter in the Desert. The case for alien contact at Socorro. Talked about them being the size of children or small adults. And that when one of them looked at him and saw him there, seemed startled, and they both disappeared around behind the landed craft. The craft had sat down, landed. By the time he got there, there was a sound like a vault door closing. There was a roar and the thing lifted off, drifted horizontally for a while, and then shot up into the sky. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. New Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.